This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, One Thing My Mom Taught Me About Happiness. It is the third message of the series by Happy. Please enjoy. It's great to be with you again, 12 Stone, and I hope you've had a good week. We enjoyed some time with our kids for Halloween. You probably did that as well. We had our three kids with us and two of our grandkids. Check out the picture. Oh, yeah, there you go. The two grandkids, little adorable Breland dressed up as Ariel and little Myers dressed up as a pumpkin. We got one more coming in the new year. All fantastic, all fun. And, and as we were enjoying that, uh, that, that night, talked with, uh, with my daughter, Julissa, and she brings up a story oh, every year or two, kind of a reminder back when she was young and little. And she says, Dad, you remember the trust me story? When you said, you can trust me, I said, oh, yeah, I, I know the story. She was probably, oh, three or four years old, and and she loved to play outside. She was this adorable, blonde, uh, bubbly, kind of drama queen, joy of our life girl, and loved to play outside, but she'd been staying inside. I'm like, Julissa, how come you're not playing outside? She said, well, Daddy, there's bees outside, and I don't want to get stung. I said, well, you can't stay inside forever. She says, oh, I think I'll just stay inside forever. I said, oh, honey, there, there's always going to be bees and bugs and stuff outside. That's, that's okay. Just go. And I, I couldn't get her to go outside and play. So, so I said, Julissa, if you just don't bother the bees, they won't bother you. Is that true, Daddy? Because I don't want to get stung. Honey, trust me. Just go out and play. You'll be fine. Well, finally, I had to tell her, I'll go with you, okay? I'll go with you. You go outside. You'll be fine. You won't get stung, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Daddy, I trust you. And out she went. And I went with her. This is a fact. In less than 60 seconds, she's running back to me, bawling, Daddy, Daddy, a bee stung me right on the lip. Sure enough, some demon bee possessed by Satan immediately stung her right on the lip, swelling up just to undermine my, my role as a dad. <laughs> and you know what she learned there? Never forgot. When my daddy says, trust me, he can't control everything. <laughs> oh, have mercy. So adorable. And that brings us to today's lesson. One thing my mom taught me about happiness. Not a couple weeks ago, I talked about the, two, the three things my, my parents never taught me about happiness, but, but I want you to hear something right here. While it's true that I, as an earthly father, can make promises and say, trust me, but I can't control everything, that's not true of our heavenly father. When he makes a promise, he's sovereign. He can be trusted. Jot it down in your notes. That's the one the one thing my mom taught me about happiness. God can be trusted. Let's say that across the campuses. Ready? Just everybody say the whole sentence. God can be trusted. One, two, three. God can be trusted. Let's do it again with a little bit of enthusiasm. Let's kind of wake up and go after this. You ready? One, two, three. God can be trusted. And now whisper it or say it to your neighbor. God can be trusted. See, see, true happiness, it's in your notes, is rooted in trusting God first. And my mom, whew, she practiced right in front of me, trusting God under pressure 
and the most practical areas of life. In fact, she would just reinforce, listen, son, it's not trusting unless you're trusting when you're under pressure because that's when trust gets tested, under pressure and practical. If you don't trust God when you're under pressure in the most practical ways, it's not trust, it's just words. And I knew that meant something. She was a single mom, four kids. By the time she was in her mid-30s, no real source of, of helpful, meaningful income. No high school graduation, had never worked outside the home, had no job skills. But she was a follower of Christ and had settled a surrender to him. And this meant she was going to have to decide in her soul, is she going to trust him? Now, I remember how many times she said, listen, son, God is our provider. God is our protector. God is our peace. And we're going to trust him first. Oh, that marked me. I mean, it's just, I, I got to watch it. If you've never watched somebody live and walk through that, then, 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 then you're missing a little something. And I hope this can encourage you today. I hope you can become that for your own family. For those you influence, God can be trusted. And she would, she would practice that stuff when, in, in not only her own life and model it for us, but she taught uh, fifth grade girls in Sunday school for decades. And she loved to use the stories of scripture because they weren't just story, they're history. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was one of the favorites one. And she would teach that. And, and, and this was back in the days in the Old Testament when, when uh, in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had great dreams and hopes for their future and what might happen. And, and they were smart and young and capable and dreams of marriage and family and career and, and just enjoyment in life and God with them. But things crashed and, and, and Jerusalem was conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and, and they were swept in it and exiled. And now they're there for all practical purposes in servitude to him and they serve in his government. And so their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as their Babylonian name. And, and Nebuchadnezzar built this massive monument, an idol to himself, to his greatness, and required everybody to bow down and, and, and worship really the idol and really him. It's worship the culture of Babylon, worship the power of materialism, worship him, and they would bow down. And, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego watched that. And they said, you know what? He might be our king on earth, but he's not our ultimate king. He, he's temporarily our king, but he's not the king. And so they said, we won't bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar lit a fiery furnace and said, if you don't bow down, I'll throw you in the furnace and you'll be consumed. I'll prove to you I'm king and I'm, I, I'm worthy of worship. And they said, listen, even, look, our God is able to keep us from the fiery furnace. Our God is able to, to have us live through a fiery furnace. We could live through the fire if God wants us to. But hey, even if our God doesn't bring us through the fire, even if we're consumed, we're going to trust him. We're going to worship him alone. We're not going to bow down. And that just infuriated King Nebuchadnezzar. And he heated it up and he threw him in the fiery furnace. If you know the story, it's amazing. It's miraculous. God protected them. He was their provider, their protector, their peace. And they walked out of the fire unharmed. And it blew everybody's mind. And Nebuchadnezzar's, whoa. I mean, go read that scripture in Daniel 3. And he's, here's what he says. It, it, it'll capture you. 
He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they trusted. Say it with me. Because they what? Trusted. Say it again. Because they what? Trusted in their God. They didn't bow down to Babylon and, 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 and the materialism and the power of humanity, but, but they recognized they trusted their God. Man, mom loved telling those stories because this is more than a story. It's, it's, a, it's the truth of trust. Now, it's not my mom who said God can be trusted. It, it was God. It's God who proves it. Jesus came in person to tell us that. Teach us how to have a happy life. The happiest you can be on earth and the ultimate happiness with him. As we've been sitting in the Sermon on the Mountain, this series, and in chapter five, it begins, happy are those who? He's telling us how to get a happy life. And, and underneath it, the foundation of happiness is trusting God first. And listen, if you don't trust God, stay with me. If you don't trust God, then everything he teaches is suspect. Like we're about to read in chapter six of Matthew, page 971 in your worship center Bibles. And when we read that, if you deep, deep, deep down, if you don't trust God, you'll read that with suspect. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Miles talked about it last weekend. God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't sin against me. Don't mistrust me. I have your best in mind. You mistrust me, you'll disconnect from your creator. You, you, you'll have false gods. You'll bow to the wrong things. You'll surely die. You'll lose everything. And then Satan comes along and whispers and suspect. Oh, I would doubt God. God. God's withholding from you. Don't trust him. He's withholding. And when you get that in your soul, when you get that in the back of your mind, when you're under pressure in the most practical areas, you start wondering, can I really trust him? And so what they do, <laughs> they, they sinned and therefore they got stung. They, they didn't get stung because they followed God. They got stung because they didn't. And we all have areas where it's difficult for us. See, their disobedience led to the loss of paradise. Let me ask you a question. I want to put it on the screen. It's in your notes. Where is it difficult for you to trust God? Where is that difficult? And it's usually in the areas where you've taken loss, disappointment, sorrow, sadness, setbacks. It's where you think you got stung. And sometimes we think, you know what? I don't think I can trust God because I once trusted God and he didn't do what I thought. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not say, God, I trust you not to let us go in the furnace. That's not what they said. They said, even if you let us go in the furnace, we will trust you, period. They didn't say, if you let us go in the furnace and we get consumed, we'll trust you. We'll trust to make sure we walk out of the furnace unharmed. That's not what they said. They said, our God is able. But they didn't say that was our trust. Our trust is him, even if we're consumed. See, many of, many of us kind of break down in our faith because we say, God, I trust you not to ever let me go into a furnace, into the fire. That's telling God what to do. He never made that promise. Oh God, you got to help me get through the fire. And as, as long as I get through the fire unscathed, then I'll trust you. No, that, that, that isn't the trust they modeled. It was trust God, period. God, I know you are good and you are trustworthy. And so whether you let me go into the furnace or whether you take me through the flames or whether I'm consumed, you alone are God. I won't bow to Babylon. I bow only to you. And I've gone through some of that myself, haven't you? I mean, our family divorced and I prayed God bring it together and he didn't. And I felt stung, but is that God or? Hmm. My mom died of cancer at 53. I wanted God to heal her. He didn't, or did he? He brought her to heaven. Huh. We planted a church. 
I said, God, don't let us go in the furnace, make this work. And he didn't early on. And we lost the equivalent of our house and cars and little savings and little retirement by, you know, late twenties and we had kids and lost our health insurance and please keep my kids healthy. He didn't. We had thrown into the fire. It seems again and again, doesn't seem like we got through that easily. And it begins to make you wonder, God, are, 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 can you trust it? Sometimes you feel a little bit betrayed. And yet my mom keeps reinforcing it. It's in the back of my head and it's in the core of scripture. God can be trusted. You're going to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moments all through your life. And I think that's what's happening in Matthew 6. So grab your Bibles. Cross the campuses, page 971, your worship center Bibles. Right back to the scripture we've been reading in the series. Page 971, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back to verses 19 through 24. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to unpack that a little bit today for the time that we have. This is a heart issue. But last week, we touched on verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So you got to change your mind in what you see and what you seek. Miles taught us that last weekend. Then a couple of weeks ago, when we read this, we sat a little bit in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. <laughs> You're going to have to decide, are you going to serve the God of Babylon and bow down to money? Or is that just going to be a tool and you're going to trust God? Because where you put your treasure is where you put your trust. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I think he's talking about more than finances, but because verse 24 addresses money, that's part of his layup treasure in heaven. And Jesus is radically teaching us to think new and act new. You got to think new and act new. So right in your notes, here's your think new. Jot it down in your notes, put it on the screen. Let's look at it together. I think Jesus is saying, here's the wake up. You're He's telling everybody, you got to think new. And of course, this is directed to followers of Christ. So this will make sense to us. And if you're not a follower of Christ, then this is a kind of an awakening into the kingdom of God. Think new. Live first for your financial retirement and best adventure. That's how you need to start thinking. You, you think, oh, I, I got to think new here. I, I got to live first for what? what? What's first? Well, God's first. Well, what does that mean? I live first for my final retirement, my ultimate adventure. I, I'm, I'm living for heaven. That's, that's really the essence of it. Now, I'm going to do a lot of drawing on the board today, and I got a whole big white board, and you try and fit in whatever you can. But, but that had to be navigated all through my journey as it is for yours in my 20s and then in my 30s and then in my 40s and now I'm in my 50s and someday, Lord willing, I'm going to be in my 60s and, and then I'm supposed to at some point retire, they say, and, and, and that's going to be my earthly retirement. And, and then the, the real goal, of course, is you get the ultimate retirement and by the grace of God, through the hand of Jesus, you get to go to heaven. Now, I'll just say that at the top, laying up treasures in heaven, you don't buy your way into heaven, you get to heaven by the work of Jesus Christ. But there's something he's going to teach us about how we live on earth that affects how things happen for us in heaven. So you got to pay attention to that. And what you're saying, what he's saying all along is that there is through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s retirement, you're all the whole while your first 
attention. It is a God first life. Through your, through your childhood, through your teen years, through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, earthly retirement and eternal retirement. This is what he said. This is what you pay attention to because, because all along here, what you're confessing is that heaven is your home. Say it with me. Heaven is your what? Home. So while you're hearing me teach right now, Marcia and I are up in New York and, and, and she's running this weekend the New York City Marathon. And how are we staying up there? We're staying at a hotel. Now, I've been at this hotel before. It's an okay hotel. I, I, I don't want to live there permanently, but I'm not changing the drapes. We're not fixing anything in the room because it's temporary. It's not our home. That's what God is saying about here on earth. You're not going to make this heaven on earth. Don't treat the material world. Don't treat your physical address here. Don't wake up in the morning. Oh, this is my home. It's really not. Maybe you shouldn't even call it your home. It's temporary. Heaven. See, the whole time, heaven, this is what we're leaning into first. Heaven is our home. And, and heaven is our real happy. In fact, the only way to be happy on earth is to know that the ultimate happy is in heaven. God never promised heaven on earth. He never promised there'd be no furnaces because once we sinned, we brought sin into the world. And therefore, in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have sorrow. You'll have tears. You'll have setback. You'll have physical death. But God offers eternal life. So the ultimate happy is heaven. There's no heaven on earth. Don't think, well, I can't trust God because I don't have heaven on earth. He never promised heaven on earth. So don't say, I trust God if he gives me heaven on earth. He's not going to. Never promised it. Heaven, ultimately, is eternal. And so I, I, I get my happiness here because I know my ultimate happiness is here. And therefore, I have a unique contentedness here because heaven is my home, not earth. You see how he's shaping this? How underneath it is the substance of a God-first life? It's revolutionary in the way you live. Furthermore, we know heaven is tangible. I don't know what your view of heaven, but if we had time to dive deeper, recognize it. We get these weird ideas that we're floating around on clouds with, with wings. That's nowhere in Scripture. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have a massive meal and banquet. It's going to be spectacular. That's coming someday at the end. We're going to celebrate that with him. Furthermore, Scripture tells us that there's going to be the tree of life that we'll eat from and that we'll enjoy. And that's going to be life-changing for us. And we're going to have glorious bodies, which means it's, there's something about this merge of the spirit and the physical that's happening in that arena. And we get this idea of all these weird, tangible or intangible, like heaven's some weird. No, it's not. No, no. You're, this is going to be a new heaven. Get it? New heaven and new earth. New heaven and new earth. The remake of the old earth and the old heavens. And then ultimately, it's the best adventure. We got weird ideas like we're going to be in heaven with choir robes singing in a choir for eternity. Now, first of all, there will be worship unlike anything we've ever experienced. And it'll be mind-blowingly powerful. We will be more in awe of God once we realize who he is at a higher level and see him. And that's true. But Jesus talked more practically to his disciples and in Matthew, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll just do it. Let me, let me read it for you. He's talking about in a world that gets lost in wealth and bows to Babylon is all about money and mammon over God. And finally, Peter, one of the 12 apostles says, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. You know what he's talking about? We have laid down things on earth to lay up treasure in heaven. 
See, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6. He says, you're going to have to think new. What's that new thinking? That new thinking is that you're going to begin to lay things down on earth to lay them up in heaven. You're, you're going to begin to, to set aside and sacrifice what seems to be treasures on earth in order to have treasure in heaven. It's the essence of his Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 19 and following. And so Peter in Matthew 19 is asking, well, if we've laid everything down for your sake, what, what then is for us? Listen to what Jesus says. He says, truly, I tell you that at the renewal of all things, at the new heaven and the new earth, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, talking to the 12, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Stop. He's saying, hey, guys, you're going to have a career in heaven. He's sitting on clouds doing silly stuff. The kingdom of God is doing unbelievably breakthrough things. God is creating more. Stuff's happening in the new heaven and new earth. I think we're all going to have careers. I think we're going to have adventures beyond our wildest imagination. Let, let me keep reading verse 29. And every one of us, everyone, that means us right here. He says, everyone who has left houses. And then he talks about relationships. In other words, you put God first ahead of even your relationships. You've left houses. You have fields for my sake. In other words, you've laid down things on earth to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. For my sake, for the sake of advancing the kingdom, helping people find Christ, disciple people. When you put your head and heart into the kingdom of God on earth first, the very things we do as a church, when you lay things down on earth that seem like the treasure of earth in order to bring about the greater treasure in heaven. He says, you will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Oh my goodness. If we had time for that scripture to just delve in, he's telling us if you will live for heaven, you'll understand that's the ultimate adventure. Here's what I believe. I believe not only do I have to learn how to trust God here, but what I do here demonstrates whether or not God can trust me. I'm not just working a career on earth. This is like high school or college to my ultimate career, which is in eternity. Heaven's an adventure. I don't know what I'll get to do in heaven, but I want to do all that God could imagine. I want to prove faithful and trustworthy to him now because he's clearly making a connection that how you live now and how you manage treasures now has an effect on how you experience heaven. I don't think it gets you in. I think it affects. There's authority. There's career. There's influence. And we're going to be surprised that people who we thought were nothing here on earth end up becoming powerful in heaven. And people who were powerful here on earth and absorbed in themselves, mm, maybe not so much if they didn't really surrender and trust him first. See, this is, this is revolutionary thinking. And, and, and he's trying to awaken us to a different way of seeing life. So my mom honored God she, with her time. I think that's part of it, although I don't think it's the core of this scripture. It's part of it. When she teaches Sunday school and pouring the lives of other kids, she honored God with first fruits. However little came into the household or however much, the first 10% went to God. And I think, you know, when Jesus said to the disciples, those of you who gave up houses, I'm like, oh, my mom never had a house. Always wanted one. Always talked about it. Never had one on earth. Always rented. Her whole life, all the way through 53. And then I think, wow. But maybe... She was building something better in heaven. 
I mean, scripture says hundredfold. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't think it means as physically material as I'm going to write it out. But I just did some math. I said, if a person made $50,000 a year their whole life, or maybe from 25 to, to 65 for 40 years and honored God with tithe, which means 10%. So, so the first 10%, if they gave 50000 or, or $5,000 a year to the Lord for his kingdom, and they honored him first, and they just surrendered it to God through their local church and said, God, this your kingdom first. You're first in my finances. I just, I just did math. I said, over 40 years, what is that calculate to because it's a hundredfold, which means on earth, this stuff can be lost. Just follow me on, on earth. This stuff can get lost. This, this stuff can come to nothing. I mean, thieves break in. Did you experience this in 08? There's all kinds of thieves. Like the economy drops in 08. My house dropped 30% in 08. My retirement, like seven years of effort and retirement came to nothing. I mean, haven't you experienced this? I mean, there's many things that steal back kind of the things that you're going after. Our HVAC went out uh, a couple months ago, cost me $10,000. I mean, are you kidding me? This stuff doesn't last. But God says in, in heaven, it lasts. There's no setback. There's no loss. There's no thieves. There's no vermin. There's no rusting. You don't go forward and then go back. It multiplies. It's compound, if you will. I wonder what I saw. So I just did math a hundred times. What would that look like over a, a 40 years of honoring God faithfully of your tithe? It, I, I did the math. Here was the number. I can't even. That's the number. It, it would be 311 quintillion. And I think, my, you know what? Maybe my mom has a lot more in heaven than I ever imagined. And, and listen, I don't think it's materially transferred. I don't actually believe that's physical. I believe heaven is the great thing. God is the great thing. But there is something he's teaching us about the adventure. And we've lost a bit of the adventure. You got to change the way you think. And then you got to change. Listen, you got to change the way you act. You got to think new. And then you got to act new. Act new. See, see God, is, God is encouraging this awakening in us. That if you would think new, hang on, you would act new. And you never really think new till you act new. You don't trust God when you say you trust him. You trust him when under pressure in those practical areas of life, you actually trust him. Lay up treasures in heaven because you're living for heaven first, God first. Really God first, therefore heaven. And if it's God first, heaven first, and that's how you think then you see the world differently. You're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're kind of weird. You're not going to bow down over here to Babylon. You're not going to be over here. Oh, I'm in for the way this culture and this world thinks about everything materially. They, no, no. I, you know what? This money is not my king. The world's not my king. Babylon's not my king. It's material stuff. I know it has its place, but God is my king. I live for heaven. I live for eternity. I, I, I act different than everybody else. You're going to stand out. You're going to look a little weird. You're going to handle everything in your life that seems like a treasure differently, and, and particularly your finances. And so you're not just going to think new. You're going to act new. And you see it in your notes. I've said it. But maybe we can put it up again if we hadn't already. Act new. Honor God first so your heart is God first. Honor God first so your heart is God first. Ha. Huh. Why did my mom honor God with the tithe, with the first 10% of everything that came in? I mean, she couldn't afford that. We were poor. Why, why, why? Mom, why do you do this? Because God is my 
provider. God's my protector. God's my peace. He said, wow. So I had to work this out on my own. And I, I think treasure in heaven is more than material. But because in verse 24 of that same scripture, Jesus says you can't serve God in money, I think that's part of the heart of it. So I go to Bible school and I got stuff I'm learning and I, I want to navigate this. So let me just tell you how I got to it. Let me just tell you how, how, how I got to, to what, what am I going to do to honor God with what he entrusts to me? And many people say, well, this tithe thing and, and tithe, if you're not clear, it just means 10%. It's just a mathematical term. It means the first 10% belonging to God. But the Old Testament is often referred to the law, the law of Moses. And then people refer to the New Testament. Well, that's love. Everything changed. And, and the law applied more to the nation of Israel. And, 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 and that's true. So, so I, I just walk through scripture and I say, well, what did the law say? And then what does love say? What did Jesus reteach us in the New Testament? So in the Old Testament, it says, you know, do not murder. So, so no murder. But, but in the New Testament, in, in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, um, don't even be angry. Don't even use harsh words. And, and I've, I've asked myself, well, which one demands more? Does the law demand more or love? I want you to answer it with me. Is it, is it easier just to, hey, no murder? Or, or is it harder to say not only no murder, but you can't even get angry. Don't mistreat someone. Don't, don't diminish them. Well, obviously, love is more. Love is more. Love is what, everybody? More? Yeah. And so go, go through it. Well, in the Old Testament, don't, do not commit adultery. All right, don't, don't, don't commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, you've heard this, but I tell you, don't even lust. Like, like men, don't, don't even lust after a woman. Which one demands more? <laughs> Love. In the Old Testament, it says, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So you know what? Get revenge. Even revenge. But, but in the New Testament, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies. Even those who, who, who persecute you and, and misuse you. You're like, oh my goodness. Which one demands more? Love. In, in the Old Testament, it says 10%. Honor God with the first fruits. The first 10, not the last 10, not the middle 10, not when it's convenient. The very first 10 that comes in, honor God. Well, what does that mean in the New Testament? You know, people say, oh, I'm not an Old Testament giver. I'm a New Testament giver. Well, good for you. What is a New Testament giver? But let's stop for a moment and see what I mean by the, the 10. I want you to understand the law. You don't have to turn here. I'll do it for you. Just going to sit for a moment in Malachi chapter 3. God's talking to the nation of Israel about the law. And he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees or the laws and have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I'll return to you, says the Lord. But you ask now, how do we return? And God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Rob God. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in your tithes, that first 10% and your offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Old Testament would be temple. New Testament would be church. That there may be food in my house. In other words, so that my kingdom goes forward, my agenda on earth. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines and your fields will not drop their fruit because it is ripe. Listen, says the Lord. Then the nation, you will call me blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Trust me in this, trust me first. Don't bow to Babylon. Don't bow to money. Bow to me. And then I'm the God that underneath all this, me first is your best shot at happiness. Me at the foundation is your only happiness here and your eternal happiness. God first. Trust God first. Well, 
man, when I get done with that, I think, well, if that's Old Testament, what would love do? Love would have to be more. So I can't, I, 10% is like the benchmark. That's the beginning. I'm just telling you, I, I, you, you figure it out in your own life. I, that's what God settled in our conviction, that if we're really going to follow Christ and be a God first kind of person and family, then, then he's got to be first, which meant back when Marsh and I were in our 20s and we got married, we said, all right, this is how it's going to work in our life. First 10% that comes in goes to God. We'd like to have the next 10% go to savings. This is going to be tied. This is going to be saved. And we're going to live on 80%. I can tell you something, it didn't work. It didn't work. Honestly, this thing broke down and we were ended up living on 90% because it didn't come together and we ended up in the fire and God didn't keep us from things I thought he would. And I'm a little frustrated and, and, and then we ended up in debt with medical stuff that, that, that now we're living on 95% and I don't have it. And a whole lot of people are like, well, then I'm going to change my tithe. And I'm like, I can't, we, we talked about it, but we can't change our tithe. Because listen, because it's God first. And God will get us through the fire. God will get us on the other side. And if we're consumed, then we go to be with him for eternity. But we can't forfeit. Listen, we can't forfeit. We got to settle. Who is our provider? Who is our protector? Who is our peace? And you settle trust under pressure practically. I'm either going to bow down. See, this this is where you bow down to Babylon. This is where you start thinking like the world. And we were under this pressure and we're pastoring. I'm like, oh, we got to be, we got to be, we got to be God first people. And then in our thirties, you know, God brought us through some fires and still, okay. But you know what we realized in our 20 scripture, it says 10 plus. So we had to start even doing a little bit more. We get a little more percentage here in our twenties. And then in, in, in our thirties, it was 10%. God began to say, I want that to move up 1% more or 2% more. I'm telling you, he pressed on us. And, and so our savings started going down to seven to 8% and then live on 80%. And, and after, after some time getting into our forties, God say, okay, you're going to maintain that me first. Well, by the time you get to the forties, it's that 10 and God wanted another, maybe 5%. That's interesting. Now, he didn't want it because he wanted, listen, not because he wanted more from me. He wanted more for me. If you trust him, you see it as more for you. And so God is changing this in us. And, and, and now we're kind of managing our lives better and differently. And, and we have different options and, and try to put 10% in savings. And now we're living on 75% of our income. Why? So that we can keep God first kind of stuff. And by the time we get to our 50s, quite honestly, God, not only the 10%, but God starts pushing in. You know what? I, I, I want some close to 10% match right there. And then 10% kind of managing the bank into the future. And now we're living on 70% or less. You, you, I, I want you to see this. I'm having this conversation on purpose. As God gives you options and progress, you increase what you lean into the kingdom of God. So God's awakening stuff in us. We don't want, not only not only want to rob God, but we just want God first in our lives. And you do this under pressure practically and lay up treasure in heaven because that's our home. That's where we're happy. That's the tangible. That's the real adventure. And we live differently than everybody else on earth. I don't do this perfectly. None of us do. But this is what we're fighting for. And when we talk around here about live sent, Because we say, you know what? We live in a world that says live for self, remember? And I've drawn this out many times. And then we go over here and we say, but we're trying to become a live sent people and a live sent church. But what is the transition from live self to live sent? The transition, which we haven't talked about yet, is to live free. And to live free means to live bigger and deeper. 
To live free means you can't even read it. I know you can't read it. You're looking at I can't read that. It says live free. And I mean live bigger and live deeper. And we'll talk more about that in the days ahead. And that, but that's what we're doing as a church because right here, what it does is it settles in that we're really about the kingdom of God. I remember a time when a, a friend of mine stopped by the church and he was honoring God with, with first fruits and tithe, but he kept making more and more money. He was making the most money he's ever made. And he's like, oh man, this is awesome and fantastic. And like, good for you. And, but then, then the more money he made, the less attentive he was to tithe. Almost like, you know what? I'm doing so well here. I've watched that happen to a lot of people. He went and bought a beautiful car, cash, stopped by the church office. Hey man, um, you want to drive my new car? I said, oh, that's fantastic. I'd love to, but, but I don't drive stolen cars. He said, what? I said, I don't drive stolen. He's not stolen. I paid for cash. I said, yeah, but I've watched you honor God less and less. I said, are you where you need to be in honoring God first? He laughed. He said, you know what? You're right. I mean, he was a friend. I had the freedom to do that. I've never done it with anybody else. And he went and cleaned that up and came back the following week. He says, now you want to drive my car? Because I put God back to first. I honored him. I actually went back and cleaned up everything that should be God's. And, and I said, you bet I do. Drove his car. It was awesome. It was fun. But, but listen, we, we only buy happy moments. But a happy life is rooted in God first. And right down here, this whole live scent is lay up treasures in heaven because treasures on earth, they'll come to nothing. And where you put your treasure, your heart is. And the real treasure is that people, listen, that people, we live scent so that people can know him and come to heaven. That's just, that's the heart of who we are as a church, as a people. Let me tell you a story. This is just one example. A young man by the name of Camden was was invited to Hamilton Mill. This is a story from the Hamilton Mill campus. So th- three, four years ago, somebody, high schooler, invited him in. He was from a spiritually unresolved family, didn't understand faith or Jesus. And over a period of time, began to understand the offer of God of eternal life and God first life. And he surrendered his life to Christ and he was baptized. And it was fantastic, great celebration. But now he's began to care, of course, about his younger sister and his parents. He was praying for them and kept trying to invite his sister in. And she was like, yeah, you and your churchy thing, you and your Jesus thing, not interested, weird, have at it. Because that's what it looks like when you're in Babylon and you buy into Babylon. Anybody who stands up to Babylon looks weird. I mean, just throw them in the furnace. They're weird. He kept praying for his sister, Caitlin. Caitlin finally visited a few times and then God began to awake her and over the next year brought her into faith and she said yes to Jesus and she got baptized and now Camden and Caitlin, brother and sister, are praying for their parents. And I want to tell you more because you know this is going to get good. That this last August, when we had that weekend, about the third weekend in August, and we talked about what it means to come to faith in Jesus, Caitlin was sitting there in the service, and she was so just caught up in the moment the Holy Spirit said to her, go invite your parents, bring them back tonight at five. She's like, oh, I'm nervous. I don't know. Is that God talking to me? I don't, I don't know how to make that happen. They're going to say no. They always say no. They're spiritually unresolved. But she went home, and she said, mom and dad, I think I, you really need to come to church with me tonight. I Come back with me at five o'clock. And they did. Well, guess what? God awakened them. They discovered that, 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 that there was a different view than Babylon. There, there's, a, there's a view of life that begins with God, and that's your peace, and that's your provider, that's your protector. That's the one you trust for the forgiveness of sin and for the whole of life. Well, they said yes to Jesus, and it was a great celebration. But, but a month later, with our open baptism, they came forward and got baptized. And I want you to see this baptism. You'll see in the upper left corner, it's happening live at Hamilton Mill, and then we just put cool pictures of its progression. This is a great celebration. This is why we give. This is why we do the things we do together as a church. This is why Jesus died on the cross. Enjoy their baptism. Thank you, bro.
Church, this is Craig. Craig, uh, come on. I mean, you got the joy of the Lord in you. I can see it right now. This is awesome. Craig, I have two questions for you. Have you trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. And do you commit to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. Well, it's on that profession of faith that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is Michelle. Michelle, I have two questions for you. Have you trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. Do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Michelle, it's on that profession of faith that I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Come on across the whole church. That's just a yay, God. I mean, when you find the gift of eternal life, and, and you're now going to heaven, and you trust it. Do you hear? Trust God for the forgiveness of sin. Well, now this whole family is going to heaven. Check it out. Here's their picture. Here's a picture of the whole family. Craig and Michelle and Camden and Caitlin. We say, yay, God. We love that. That's why we do what we do together. And something else that was cool happened. See, Camden, when he got baptized, he signed the baptismal tub, as we call it. And there's his signature, 916 of 15. And guess what? We discovered his parents were baptized in the same baptismal tub, and they signed it. There's theirs. And it's, yay, God, hallelujah. That's why we do what we do. You say, well, why would we tithe? Why would we give? Why would we sacrifice? Because we're laying down treasures on earth to lay up treasure in heaven. Because our heart is for the kingdom of God first. Because we want to see people rescued and transformed. And because we walk with God in a world that we no longer bow to like Babylon. We look like... Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's who we're supposed to be. Because we think new, and we act new. So where is it difficult for you to trust God? And for most of us, it's in our finances. So once every year or two, we have a conversation like this, and we offer you a 90-day trust test. Everybody picked up this card on the way in. Everybody look. This card is sitting in front of you. Everybody grab this card that says trust test. And, and you, listen, you got to settle this before God. This is a big, important decision for you. I understand that. But it says trust test. Tithing is not an issue of money. Everybody look at it right now. In fact, why don't you just take a moment and let's just separate it. Just everybody separate. You got that. You got the two cards right there. Why don't you separate it? And then we'll just read the one and, and put it in front of you. The part that says trust test. So everybody cross. If you haven't, just go ahead and separate it right now. Everybody's making the noise to separate it. And it says trust test. And we want to help you walk into this. And we've discovered, a lot of people have said, man, this helps me keep doing it. This helps others. This helped me break through. So settle it. Trust test. Tithing is not an issue of money. It's an issue of trust. God knows that the most difficult area for us to turn over to him is our finances. By the way, this is for followers of Jesus. If you haven't trusted him for the forgiveness of sin, listen, don't, we aren't asking for money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But if you're a follower of Christ, why wouldn't you? You already trusted him for the biggest thing. Now you join him in the kingdom. So will I trust him? My response, realizing that trust is the single most important factor in a relationship. And that God says, test me now in this. I take this step of trust by committing the first 10% of my income to the Lord through 12 Stone Church. 
When's the big day? I need you to just check if this is the beginning for you. I will begin tithing. Just go try this for 90 days. Go sell it. Why? Why just, it's not for just 90 days. But if you don't set a breakthrough moment, you never get a breakthrough. It's a big season. It's a big decision. For some of you, you once settled this, but you keep vacillating back and forth, drift. And God's telling you today, correct that. Return. And some of you already do. You say, oh, yeah, I'm there. And some of you just know in your heart like me, it's, it, New Testament giving is far more than 10. I'm not saying that, that, that 10% law applies the way today it did in the Old Testament. I think it's more. And you got a moment to put your name, sign it, email, and place it in the offering basket. And while you're filling that out right now across the campuses, know this. You turn that in. Campus pastors and I will be praying with you over the next 90 days. And while you're filling that out, let me just take a moment. I know you have questions. I, 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 I know I made a mess on the whiteboard, I, I, but I hope you walked through it. I know to live this out in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you got a lot of questions. Next week, we're going to have a town hall. And we're going to ask honest and answer honest questions about how scripture applies to the most practical areas of life and finance. You should ask them. They're good questions. I think it'll help you immensely. And then I want you to know something else. We've improved the way to help you engage this act of worship. Because for us, giving to God is not a donation. It's an act of worship. And culture keeps changing, meaning how money gets managed. It's more digital now. And we've only been able to make available giving online. We have to go through the long detail process online. But we've now made a switch. Kind of we're, we're, we're current now. Made a way for you to do it mobily on the 12 Stone mobile app. We just, listen, it's not just easier though. It's more secure. We wouldn't do this. We've been working on this for a while until we got a partner who's have a proven track record. It's called Push Pay. Push Pay. It's, it's on the mobile app. It's made it easier. Now you can, you can do your act of worship, so to speak, before the Lord on Push Pay. You'll hear more about it and you'll, you'll see it unfold here. But it's really, that's not what it's about. The, the detail of that, the key is, will you trust God first. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, we want to pray over you. And together, we want to experience what God said would be true. If we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all this stuff in Babylon would be cared for. He's our source of happiness. So can I pray with you today? Lord, I thank you for being our provider, our protector, and our peace. And I know that those three words um, don't necessarily ring true to every person here. So I pray for those who are sitting here and they need you to be their provider. Lord, would you shower them with goodness? We know that you dress the lilies of the field and that you care about the sparrow. And so how much more do you love your children? And I pray that you would just show yourself to be a God that loves and provides and um, that they can trust you in that, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who need you as their protector, Lord. Would you just cover over them? I think you, de you describe yourself as a, a mother hen kind of uh, covering your chicks. And Lord, I pray that you would cover over your children with protection, those who need it. Protect them from uh, foolishness. Protect them from the distractions of Babylon as it's been described today and allow them to make wise decisions to be obedient toward you today. And Lord, those who need peace, Lord, would you just calm them 
There's a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, and I pray that that would exist in the mind of every person here, that the fear of money, that the concern of where the next meal is coming from, that all of those issues would dissolve in your peace, Lord. I thank you for being our provider, our protector, and our peace, and I pray that it would change the way we trust you, that we would experience you in a new way as we move forward Uh, financially and with our hearts as well, Lord, that we would just trust you in a new way. And I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, the next 90 days and how it'll change some of the people here as they step into something they've never done before. Thank you ahead of time for proving yourself trustworthy. We pray in your name. Amen.